The story for this Sunday is Lesson 11, Paul and Lydia, uh, Acts chapter 16. Now, in the Sunday school books, it just has a very short lesson, Acts 16, verses 11 to 15, just the four verses. I guess I would encourage you to go back to verse 6, and uh, I'll be talking about that in this section too. Read what comes before. It's really all kind of part of the same thing. Um, very some very important and wonderful things happening in the verses before. So Acts chapter 6 verses uh, 6 to 15. Now one of the key passages in this section is Jesus' promise where two or three are gathered together in my name. And we're going to see uh, that here uh, Paul meets a small group Many of the other cities he went to, he would go to the synagogue, and the, the implication is there. There's a, a larger group in many of those cities of Jewish believers and bring to them the news of Jesus Christ. But here there's just a, a few women meeting by the river, we're going to find out. And yet, not only does Paul go and share Christ's word with them, but in fact, he was very much pushed to go here by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is is looking out for these few women. He wants them to hear about Jesus as well and kind of diverts Paul from his plans uh, so that he'll come and, and preach the gospel here. When I was in India, uh, Juddy Benjamin often apologized to me when we went to churches with smaller. He always felt like maybe it was a waste of my time or something, that he should be just taking us to larger churches with larger gatherings. But, of course, that's not... The way the word of the Lord works. Even if there's just a few of us left or a few of us, in, you know, gathering together, uh, the Lord blesses that meeting, and we're gonna we're gonna see that here as well today. Don't despise the day of small things, as the Bible says, but re rejoice in even one sinner who repents. Uh, and here we have a couple. So. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, that's verses 6 to 9. Uh, you may remember this was actually part of the lectionary for this year. Uh, I preached on this section of Acts back during the Easter season, and I'll include a link to that sermon in my email. You can go back and listen to that if you like. Uh, it's on the same section, including Lydia and everything. And one of the things I pointed out in that that sermon, which is very applicable here, is how does the Lord speak to us? You could ask the students if they've ever had a vision from the Lord, if the Lord's ever appeared to them in a dream or another way, and probably not. <laughs> um, it doesn't happen that way very often. But the Lord is our good shepherd who does direct, guide and direct us even when it comes to earthly matters, especially when it comes to the preaching of his word, as we're talking about here. And a lot of times he does it simply by not letting us go where he doesn't want to. Uh, he he closes doors. Uh, sometimes we think, well, this is the right direction to take my life, or this is the right place to go. And no, the Lord stops us in one way or another from going that way. That can be very frustrating for us as people. We think for sure this is the right way to go, and yet we just we can't do it. We can't make it work, and it seems like the Lord's sh shutting the door in our face. Well, sometimes the Lord has a reason for that. Uh, now, sometimes... 
you know, it's not so much that he's shutting the door as it's just a little bit difficult and we need to uh, continue on and persevere. Uh, but in this case, we see, no, it's, it's not just a little difficult. He actually shuts the door and that's what happens. And so, uh, but Paul doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't, you know, give up and kind of go home. But what does he do? He continues on. Okay, God doesn't want me going here. I'll try going here. God doesn't want me going there. I'll try going there. And finally, then the Lord gives him a vision. And I'm sure Paul was praying about it this whole time too, that the Lord would direct him. Verse 10. Uh, now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That we, of course, in verse 10 is very significant. Uh, this is the first time that the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we hear the word we. Uh, before, it's always Paul or those with him or them or they. Now it's we. And, of course, we know that Luke wrote Acts. So the implication is that this is where Luke joined Paul for the first time. And, and knowing that, we kind of understand why the Lord directed him uh, to, to Troas. Uh, Luke is very important in the, in the early church, uh, not, just writing, not just in the writing of Acts, but writing in the, in the, uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke as well, and a, a constant companion to Paul and some of the other apostles as well. Uh, so no doubt this was part of God's plan. You know, why did, why did God stop him from going here and stop him going there? Well, no doubt he wanted him to go and meet up with Luke. Uh, he had big plans for Luke. And uh, we see that here. So Luke joins Paul, and Paul recognizes the voice of the Lord in the in the dream he saw at night, and so he goes over to Macedonia. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. Now, you notice it says that it's the foremost city of that part of Macedonia and then calls it a colony. And we might think, well, those are kind of opposites. Usually we think of a colony as a small city, as an outpost. But not so in that day. In this case, it actually means that it's a Roman city. Uh, it's a part of, it's a, it's a city of Rome with voting rights in the empire. Uh, so most of the cities and most of the area of Greece and Asia Minor and Israel uh, were were conquered by Rome and they were ruled over by Rome, but they didn't have any say in the Roman Empire. But this, as a colony of Rome, this city had been elevated to a special status as a colony of Rome, a very important city then, part of, part of the Roman Empire, not just in being ruled over by it, but part of the ruling, part, uh, you know, a, a city with, with voting rights, a Latin city. Sorry. So, anyway, so there's uh, Paul at uh, Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Uh, so Paul and his companions know exactly where to go. There's no synagogue, and they know that it's the custom of the Jews, and it's a long-standing custom that if there is no synagogue, then the Jews would meet by the side of a river or, or some water. Uh, water played an important role in the rituals of the Jews, uh, Jesus talks about how they wash 
pots and pans and, and you know everything and jesus talks about how they wash their hands but their their hearts are still unclean so the baptism wasn't something you know baptism is a new testament sacrament it's true but it wasn't something that just appeared out of thin air with no history to it uh, the idea of washing with water to symbolize a cleanliness before god dates way back in the Jewish traditions. And the Lord took that tradition and he made it something even greater, even better, by actually enduring and doing it, in doing it with his power and with his word. So that now it's not just a custom and it's not just a symbol, but it's actually a sacrament in which God does the very thing uh, that the Jews used it to symbolize, washing us with water and with cleanliness. So anyway, it was part of the Jewish custom, so it was very a very natural place to meet then to worship uh, near some body of water if you don't have a synagogue it was the custom of the jews also that a synagogue could not be established until you had 10 uh, men of working age and the idea there was that well you need you need 10 men each giving 10 percent of their income so if you have 10 men giving 10 percent of their income then that you can have a a leader of the synagogue and he's going to be being paid the same as what those 10 men make because they're you know they're each giving 10 percent of their income so that adds up to 100 percent he's going to be getting an average at least of uh, what those men so that was kind of the, their rule uh that then you could establish a synagogue and have your own rabbi or you know synagogue leader so no we don't have 10 men here and in fact the implication is um that it was all or mostly women who are meeting but they know god's word and they delight in that and they rejoice in it and so they, they find a way to meet and to encourage one another even if they can't have a synagogue with the regular worship and what a wonderful reminder to us of how important women are in the church uh, we know of course that god has said that uh, women should not be leaders in the church they should not have uh, authority over the men but that, of course, doesn't mean that they don't have a very important role and place in the church. Here they are continuing on in the worship of the Lord, even when they don't have a synagogue. We have the example of Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, who raised him in the word of the Lord, uh, even when his father wasn't. And what a wonderful job they did of raising him in the word of the Lord that he uh, then became the wonderful missionary that Timothy did become. And here we have examples here as well. Very often, even if they're uh, not pastors, uh, women are the heart and soul of, of churches, uh, doing a lot of the volunteer work that is so necessary uh, for an organization to run. You know, many of our women volunteer in so many different ways, helping out with VBS. Uh, Randy Joe did such a wonderful job of that this last summer and uh, helping out with Sunday school. You guys that are listening to this, helping out with that uh, in, in so many other ways. And we see that here as well, uh, how important and, and what a wonderful role uh, faithful women play. I uh, see that even in Jesus' ministry, helping him out and encouraging him uh, by providing him with the things that jesus needed for his his earthly existence it was the women that were going out to the tomb easter morning of course to to wrap him up and to provide the the proper burial robes for him so many different things uh so many different so many different examples we could go into like that 
so we so it's verse 13 and on the sabbath day we went out of the city of the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there now a certain woman named lydia heard us she was a seller of purple from the city of thyatira who worshiped god and the lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by paul and when she and her household were baptized she begged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the lord come to my house and stay and so she persuaded us. And so there you go. There's just another example. Uh, Lydia dedicating her life and her work to the, to the Lord and to the preaching of the gospel and uh, bringing Paul, and not just Paul, but all his companions into her home. Uh, and the implication there is, of course, that she is feeding and taking care of their, their earthly needs, not just providing a bed for them to stay uh, because of her love for the Lord. You notice also that it's the Lord who opens her heart. Uh, it is not her choice to believe, right? Now, we are sinners and we will all reject God's word by nature, but the Lord opens our heart through his word. And then she and her whole household were baptized. And what a wonderful reminder, of course, of uh, what, what it is that God has given to us in baptism, the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Which he did here for Lydia and her whole household. And of course, we don't know um, for sure if there were children as part of her household. Uh, this isn't the first time that the Bible tells us so-and-so and their whole household. Uh, just a few verses later, we're going to have the jailer at Philippi. And he and his whole household again were baptized. And uh, earlier in Acts, there's a couple other examples of that where it's uh, he or her and their whole household. So if there were children there, they certainly were baptized. It, it says their whole household, right? Uh, but uh, the, the real impetus for baptizing infants is, of course, Christ's command that we baptize all nations. Children are a part of all nations. Uh, so usually we, we list three reasons for infant baptism. Number one, Christ says to baptize all nations. Go and teach and baptize all nations. Children are a part of all nations. Uh, number two, children are simmer, sinners. Uh, we're born in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Uh, and because they are sinners, because they are born in that same sin that we all have, they need that precious grace and gift of God, which comes through baptism. Why would we want to withhold uh, such a wonderful thing from them? And then number three, children can have faith. Jesus himself said, one of these little ones who believe in me. Uh, so he shows very clearly that infants, little children can have faith. And it's through baptism that he creates that faith. So... Uh, even though we can't prove that uh, Lydia had children that were baptized, it seems likely that there were some children in her, in her household. Uh, but even if they weren't, we have uh, plenty of proof in Scripture that it is what we are supposed to do. So her and her whole household. And uh, that's one of the other wonderful things about this account, too. We see the Lord, uh, we can kind of see the similarities between Lydia here and Paul. You know, uh, both of them were, were going a different direction, and the Lord called them to the direction he wanted them to go. Uh, for Paul, it was, you know, go to Troas, or sorry, uh, go to Philippi, to Troas, and then to Philippi. 
Uh, for Lydia, it was, okay, the Old Testament is passed, calling her to, to worship Jesus. But both of them, he does, he uses means. He uses things of this earth. For Lydia, he uses the word and the 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 water uh, through baptism to bring her to faith and to teach her the joy of Christ. Uh, in Paul's case, in order to, to get him to Philippi, he used, uh, well, we don't know exactly what means, in some way he stopped him from going to Asia and stopped him from going to Bithynia. He used those closed doors and uh, the vision to bring him to, to Troas and then on to Philippi. So the Lord works through means. We, we see that over and over again in the, in the scriptures, and we see that here as well, uh, that he works through earthly means to do his will and, and to teach us his will. Being baptized and having received this wonderful news that Jesus had come, the Messiah had finally come to save her from her sins, Lydia being moved with joy, we see then her response to that gospel opens her heart, opens her house, uh, to help in every way she can these these missionaries, these apostles, these evangelists who had come and shared this word with her uh, so that they might continue to teach her and so that they might go on and to teach others. And, and so we see that example as well, that having received God's grace, we also are eager and joyful to do what we can to help in the preaching and teaching of his word and the spread of that gospel. As always, let me know if you have any questions. Uh, Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson.